Top 14, the finest football multimedia page out there. Follow us on the socials and don't forget to like and subscribe. Enjoy this episode. Hello and welcome back to the Top 4 Tiers podcast. It's Tom and Lucas at it again and another big week of football and we're going to talk to you all about it and give us our brutally honest take on the occurrences of the weekend. Please note to our Huddersfield and Luton listeners, this episode was recorded before the Huddersfield-Luton match on Monday night. Tomo, evening, how are you doing? Yeah, good, thanks. Looking forward to the Huddersfield-Luton game tonight. I think now, as a QPR fan, there's no real interest now in it for us, um, playoff-wise, as we're out of it. But be good to see, I think one of those sides will probably fall out and one will stay in, so big game tonight. But yeah, obviously it'll be outdated by the time this goes live. So if you are a Huddersfield or a Luton fan, we do apologise for that inconvenience. But with no further ado, we shall get the ball rolling with the Premier League. And what better place to start than Goodison Park with probably the upset of the weekend. There's an Everton side who I predicted last week would go down. Seemingly defied all odds and won 1-0 against the lacklustre Manchester United side. Tom, that was a pretty big match. What do you have to say about it? It was a massive result, that, for Everton. Frank Lampard needed it so, so much. He's not really, not got a great record against Man United. I remember his first ever game in management for Chelsea when they got battered 4-0 by United. That'll taste extra sweet for him. But as for Everton, they got in front early through a deflected Anthony Gordon goal and then held on. United didn't really create that much, though, in all honesty. They had a lot of the ball, but... I think Jordan Pickford had a great game, but he didn't have that much to do that was ridiculously hard. He had quite a lot of routine saves to make and he did command his area well, but United just really lacklustre performance from them and things just aren't clicking under Ralph Ragnick. And it definitely highlights to me the fact that they need to get a new manager in um, in the summer and, and really hit a proper rebuild button because they've been just in limbo for the last five or six years and it's been ridiculous really they need to either go for it properly and rebuild properly um or keep throwing money at it but if they keep throwing money at it I really doubt that it'll work yeah I'm gonna go as far as saying they've been in limbo since Fergie left nine years ago which is big I know but it just goes to show that the, the shortage of progress that has been made by the Red Devils is really starting to show now. And I think Ralph Rangnick can't be managing the first team past the end of the season. As for Everton, this is a gargantuan win. They now sit four points clear of the drop zone with two games in hand on Leeds, the side above them. If they win both said if they win said both games in hand, then they will climb into 16th. As for Manchester United, they now sit seventh, or to give them their true nickname, Man Seventh for United. And I'm just going to say it now. That what is this... horrific. <laughs> also, another major talking point to come from that match was the video that emerged of Cristiano Ronaldo smashing a child's phone. Tom, do you have anything to make on that? Yeah, I think it's one of those. It's, it's, it is bratish by Ronaldo, and don't get me wrong, he'll regret that now definitely but I think that it's a problem with fans it's this whole bringing cardboard cutouts asking for shirts to games I'm not a fan of it I think personally I can understand for the very very young kids but if I was if I'd just got beat to a team in the relegation zone and I was a player like Ronaldo I would be really annoyed you know I'd be 
fuming, and then you've got someone trying to stick a phone in your face. You can he shouldn't have reacted how he did, but I think these people that just film everything really annoy me. And he's obviously done sensing a little bit of a cash grab now, hasn't he? Yeah, it's a, it's definitely a sticky one. Anyway, moving on from Goodison Park, we now make a trip down the Great British Motorway system to Southampton where we discussed the biggest annihilation job of the weekend. It wasn't quite 9-0, it was 9-3, which um, was 6-0 with a fantastic individual performance from Mason Mount with two goals and an assist. As Southampton is a pretty poor result and they now slide down to 14th, albeit only one point off 10th, which is, I believe, where they were before the game on Saturday. As for Chelsea, they strengthen their position in the top three and third. Tom, do you have any words on the match on Saturday down at St Mary's? Yeah, it says a lot when you when your goalkeeper lets six goals in and still is your best player on the pitch. Um, from what I saw, Fraser Forster kept them in the get well, kept them in it, kept it from being even more than nine. And Southampton have this in them for some reason under under Hassan Hootel, they have three or four games a season, well, maybe two or three, where they just, defending just totally goes out the window. And if you look at that back line, Bednarek, he's been involved in, I think, the other two, both the other two nine nils. I think Romeu and Ward-Prowse have both been involved in the midfield. Um, Salisu is new to the side, to be fair, but he's another one that defensively can be inconsistent. And Chelsea were brilliant on the day. They raced into a 4-0 lead. Mason Mount played very well. Werner actually getting much needed a uh, couple of goals. And then Havertz with one of the others and Alonso with the sixth. But I think for Southampton, they need to get shake this out. of them. It's a really bad trait that they have where, I mean, Chelsea create nine big chances. They've hit the woodwork three times as well. Um, so... It was just an awful, awful performance from Southampton. Now, they have nothing to play for. They've had a good season this year. They're going to be mid-table comfortably again. And having lost a couple of players in, in the summer, that'll be a good finish for them overall. I mean, it's, at one stage, they were looking a bit shaky, but they they do. It must be so frustrating to be a Saints fan because it's embarrassing, quite frankly, to be 4-0 down after that little time and... It, they need to, as I say, stop doing this stupid performances three or four times a year. Yeah, no, we've seen it quite a bit in House and Hootel's tenure. The crop of the Alps really not living up to his nickname there, as they've had a 9-0 against Leicester, a 9-0 against Man United, and now this time round, a 6-0 against Chelsea, which just goes to show that they are they, they go to pot once or twice a year. Moving on now to um, back up the Great British Motorway system, back to the Etihad, um, where we saw arguably one of the biggest games at the top of the Premier League um, this weekend as Manchester City and Liverpool locked horns and it ended all square for the second time this season with Gabriel Jesus and Kevin De Bruyne's goals cancelled out by Sadio Mane and Diogo Jota. What this means is that Manchester City stayed top, albeit only by a point. There's not a lot in it. And Liverpool have a superior goal difference as well, which literally means that if Man City slip up and Liverpool win all their remaining games, even if they draw just one match and Liverpool win all their remaining games, Liverpool will be crowned champions. 
which is pretty big. Tom, do you have anything you'd like to say about this? Nah, pretty, pretty irrelevant game. Let's move on. Now, on a serious note, massive game this. I mean, it was an absolute clash. It was such a good game to watch. The other game at Anfield was exactly the same. I think these are probably the two prime versions of these teams. And to say that when they've both nearly got 100 points in separate seasons is incredible. Um, the last three or four seasons, they've both been unbelievable, these teams. And they're two contrasting styles totally. So that's why it's so fascinating to watch. You know, City, they dominated the game and they dominate pretty much every game against every team possession wise. And they did look probably more threatening throughout the game. But then when Liverpool turn it on, I've never seen a team better and their first goal, Liverpool, was incredible. I mean, the, the switch of play, I think, was it by Thiago before the goal was unbelievable. And then the composure from Alexander-Arnold cut it back. And then a very composed finish as well from Jota. And it was just absolutely everything about that goal was perfect. And similar for the second goal, yes, Kyle Walker falls asleep a little bit, but Salah did brilliantly to set Mane up. And, and it was a great response after half-time from Liverpool because... I think a lot of people are saying that this is a great result for Man City and it keeps them in control. Yes, it does on paper, but I think if you're a Liverpool fan and you're 1-0 down after five minutes and then you're 2-1 down just before half-time, you'd certainly be pleased with a point. And I think I, I do still think that, that City will win the league. I've always stood by that just because I think their quality of squad is better if there's a couple of injuries to Liverpool. But, wow, just what a game. And Liverpool will be, I I would say it's a better result for the Reds than City. Yeah, no, just looking at it now, um, Man City do have a slightly easier running than Liverpool. They have to play Watford at home, which is, an, which as we all know, sorry to our Watford listeners, but as we all know, it's an automatic walkover for the citizens. As for Liverpool, it's a pretty big result for them. As they say, second, although they do have quite a tough run and still need to play an, an out of four Man United and they need to play a gelling Spurs side. Speaking of which, we're going to move on to their game now as they overcame Aston Villa by four goals to nil. Perhaps some might say it would be a lucky game for Spurs as Villa had loads of chances, but the Spurs defence stood very firm and answered all their questions. Don't really not to make of it for Aston Villa. But Human Song was absolutely world class. Once again, showing how just how good he is, scoring a hat trick. Um, Kulusevski, what a signing! Pro- probably the signing of the January transfer window, if not a signing of the season. Although that's definitely up for debate. Um, he has been a revelation for Spurs since he came in, and our Spurs listeners will be very happy to hear that. Harry Kane also with um, a duo of assists. But yeah, it's it's a delight to see for Spurs. Um, Tom, do you have anything to say about that? Yeah, it, the scoreline probably lied on this one. I mean, Son will get all the credit for the hat-trick and he was unbelievable. Um, but you've got to say Hugo Lloris, a player that I think a lot of Premier League fans and English football fans have a question mark over. And I my, myself, I do as well. I've not really ever seen him have that good of a game but he was unbelievable in this game and in the first half Villa absolutely battered Spurs 14 shots seven shots on target I think Coutinho had three shots on target in the first half 
And then Spurs came back into it in that second half. Um, well, I say came back into it. Spurs went 1-0 up after three minutes and it was wave after wave then from Villa until half-time. But then after half-time, Kulosevsky, that's the key goal, isn't it? And Harry came with the assist there and two, two more assists for him. He really is playing that quarterback role brilliantly for Tottenham. From a Villa perspective, I think their weakness is so obviously their defence. And Emmy Martinez is a good goalkeeper, but Tyrone Mings has been very underwhelming this season. And with two attacking fullbacks in Luca Dean and Matty Cash, Consa and Mings get very little protection. And they don't get that much protection from McGinn, Ramsey, and Louise in midfield either. So they're getting exposed time and time again. And that's what happened against Spurs. And that's why they're conceding a lot of goals. And I think Gerard in the summer needs to strengthen that back line. Yeah, no, it was a matter of a very good um, attacking performance from Villa, an even better performance from Hugo Lloris, though. But it was just the defence that they let them down because they, they their, rate, their individual ratings are so, so poor. We have a four out of ten, five and a half, five, 5.7, 5.6, which just says it all, really, and just says how... The weaknesses in Villa's back line were well and truly exploited by Human Song and company. As for Spurs, it's a very, very good win for them. They they now sit fourth in the league, albeit with the game in hand on, albeit Arsenal team below them do have a game in hand on them, which if they win, they'll stay above them only on goal difference. So it could go down to the wire for top four and between the North London clubs as well. As for Aston Villa, they they now they sit twelfth in the league. Um, they're not they're not going to change here this season. Certainly not going to go down either. I think, as I said, Jared needs to get his checkbook out in the summer and really remove some signings that need to be made. Right then, uh, I think a big game, which is I think a big game in the relegation picture, was Norwich beating Burnley by two goals to nil with goals from Pierre Lise Malou and obviously that man at it again, Timu Puki. As for Burnley, while they've been hard to beat this season, they've just been so poor at winning. They just they just cannot seem to buy a... They just haven't really bought a win this season. Only won four matches all season, which is really poor. Um, and I think that's probably... If they do go down, which they most likely will, that will be why, because their inability to win games... Tom, I'm just going to say on this really quickly, Burnley, wow, how underwhelming. Yeah, I think that's probably Burnley relegated. And as you say, it's their lack of being able to score goals that's killed them, really. And it's killed them today. Norwich, well, not today, on Sunday. Norwich played pretty well. They'll be happy with the win, but I think they're they're relegated anyway. So I don't think it's that big of a result. One result that is also down the bottom that was massive was... Watford nil leads three. Now that could be Leeds safe, and it could be Watford down, couldn't it? Yeah, because Watford have been really, really poor for long spells this season, and I think that's just basically rubber stamp their relegation. Cucho Hernandez going off after thirty nine minutes didn't help them. Leeds already got the party started when Rafinha put them goals to the good, but um, yeah, that's basically as he said. I'm going to agree with you here. Leeds are. Leeds are more or less safe, barring a major collapse. And Watford, bar a Sunderland style escape, are down. It's just been really disappointing from the Hornets this season. And I think some of the really poor individual performances have not helped. And 
Roy Hodgson, while he's somewhat drilled some more defensive discipline into the side, it's not really done much as they've just kept on capitulating and will probably um, go down at the end of the season. As for Leeds, however, Jesse Marsh, um, he'll be happy with this as he sort of is he seen an upturn in form there. I'm beating him four now, three wins in that time, which is good from a Leeds perspective. Um, and it's probably done enough to keep them in the Premier League for another season. And second season syndrome hasn't sent them down. Moving on now down to the championship in what mine and Tom's opinion is indeed the best league in the world. Um, we're going to start at we're going to start with yesterday's game, the most recent game at Craven Cottage. And that's a pretty big result um, with Fulham losing 3-1. Just a capitulation at the back. And Callum O'Hare with um, a fantastic individual performance as well as Gustavo Hamer as Coventry do the double over Fulham, winning three goals to one. Tom, Fulham beat us last week, but they seem to have found their bogey team. Do you have anything to say? Well... I think it's a very bold opinion, but Coventry are the best side I've seen QPR play against this season. Both games they played as not off the park, maybe that's the wrong way, wrong word, but in both games they played really, really well. And every time I've seen them this season, even in defeat, I've been really impressed, especially the likes of Gustavo Harmer, who was man of the match in this game, and Callum O'Hare as well, who Hasn't got the stats really to back up his performances this season, but has constantly looked a threat when he gets on the ball. And if he can add a little bit more quality in the final third, I think he'll no doubt be a Premier League player for me. Um, Kov, I don't think it's it's too little too late for them from a playoff perspective. They just haven't managed to turn their performances into wins consistently enough this year. But... They can match any team in this league. And I, I wouldn't say that... I would say for next season, they're a dangerous prospect because financially, they'll have had two seasons of survival in the championship. They'll be able to probably invest a little bit more into that squad. And therefore, with a little bit more investment, I think they've already got a very, very good core to that team. And if they can keep hold of their best players, the likes of O'Hare, the likes of Giocarez... They'll certainly keep hold of Godden. Um, and so I think, uh, and Hamer as well, who's key. I think they could really go for promotion next season. Fulham, yeah, it's, it's a loss, but they've won the league anyway. So it's just an off day for them. And as I say, they are their bogey team. Yeah, we've seen, we've seen it already. We saw a 4-1 earlier in the season. We've just seen a 3-1 yesterday. But as for Coventry, as you said, Two fantastic performances, very, very unfortunate to come away with nothing on both occasions from a Sky Blues perspective. But I think if they can keep their if they, if they can keep the bulk of their team together, then as you said, there's no reason why they can't push for that goal of promotion next season. It is it is a matter of too little, too late this season. But it's, it was a fantastic day out, and yesterday would have been a really good day to be a Sky Boots fan. Another team who it could also who it could also have been a matter of too little too late from could well be Barnsley as their little run of wins gave them false hope, but they've just gone and been shafted 4-1 by Millwall on Saturday with a fantastic individual performance from Dan McNamara, however you say his name, scoring twice there. Um, and despite a goal from Romal Palmer, it just wasn't enough, was it? As 
Barnsley pitched late, and that's surely Barnsley down, isn't it? Yeah, I think when Palmer made it 2-1 in the 49th minute, those Barnsley fans might have had a little bit of hope, but um, no, it wasn't to be. And as you say, McNamara, a young fullback who, when I saw him play again, it's biased being a QPR fan. I wasn't massively impressed in the twice I've seen him, but I think this season he's been broken into that first team and done pretty well for Millwall. It keeps their playoff hopes alive, but... I do think that's probably the game that relegates Barnsley. Um, Reading are a few, uh, quite a few points clear. Yes, Barnsley have a game in hand. I'm not sure exactly how many points they are clear at, actually. But uh, eight points, yeah. and Barnsley's game in hand is against Blackpool. Yeah, so I think that's probably the nail in the coffin. Ollie Burke scoring as well for Millwall and Beckerfobe is a loser talented player. Millwall could be up there, you know, they've still got a little bit of a chance of getting promotion. And as you say, seven points, sorry, eight points for Barnsley, they're not going to make that up. And I think the current bottom three now are probably going to stay there until the end of the season. Yeah, no, speaking of another game in the bottom three, we're going to move over to um, the Swansea.com stadium as an in- a fantastic individual first 20 minutes from Joel Perot has been enough to basically, um, again, put the nail in the coffin for Derby this season. Despite a spirited um, side, their points deduction has massively killed them as 21 points off their total seems to have been enough to send them down. Despite a goal from Tom Lawrence, Swansea held firm for the last hour and a bit and they just get got the win with a, with a good performance as well from Hannes Wolf out wide as he grabbed an assist for... Um, as he grabbed an assist for Perot's first goal, and obviously L- Lawrence got Lawrence scored his penalty as well, which is good to see from a Derby perspective. But it's now, I believe, eight games in a row, no, eight away games in a row that Derby have lost. Their home form this season has been very good at times. If they if the league was just based on home form, they'd be ninth. If it was based on the away form, they'd be down in twenty second. It says it all, really. Um, but we're that gonna was start... literally the point I was about to touch on as well. <laughs> I took but yeah, it out. is true. That's without the points deduction as well. So Derby are performing away from home like a relegation side. And I think they just struggle to get that galvanisation when they're away. Um, obviously, there is a bit of a lack of quality in the squad and there's a lot of young players in there. And I think at home, the atmosphere has been, been brilliant this season and that's managed to drive them on. But just two wins away from home all season, that's you're going to get relegated, point deduction or not, with that sort of away form, aren't you? Yeah, and as, as we said, the points deduction has really killed them. Obviously, um, Barn Derby have had to field loads of young players this season because of the turbulence in their side. And what well, and they've been really good at times, um, more, more at home than away, but it's just a matter of their away form has killed them. And we... And um, QPR could act, and our beloved QPR could actually relegate Derby, I believe, when they come to us on Easter Monday. But knowing us in true QPR style, we will probably lose. We spe- won't. Spe- speaking of QPR, we're now going to move over to Deepdale. Tom, you're at the game. Um, what do you have to say? Well, I have to say that that's QPR's promotion hopes over. QPR were were probably the better side in the game. I think Preston will probably count themselves lucky that they've managed to win this game 2-1. Should have been 2-0 Daniel Johnson gave away a ridiculously stupid penalty in the last um, kick 
minutes of the game. But Rangers were were good, just couldn't take the chances. Chances fell to Dezel and Chair when you probably want them to fall to the likes of Johansson and Dykes. And they were both missed and they were both soft finishes when one-on-one with an impressive Daniel Everson, to be fair. But I think that there's a there's not it's just the lack of confidence at QPR. They, you know, we were pretty much nailed on at the end of January to get in that top six. And I don't think anyone could, even the most negative QPR fan couldn't have seen this happening, but it has happened and there's no chance of the playoffs now. The only chance would be to win five out of five and even the most optimistic fan wouldn't think, isn't going to believe in that. He'd have, he'd have to have taken some very strong drug to drugs to believe that we're going to beat Huddersfield on Friday and then win the next four matches after that. Um, even Sheffield United at home, so the most optimistic you are, we've had to take some very strong drugs to believe that we are going to win. Yeah, it was a disappointing. I did one. fail to mention Cameron Archer, by the way, who fair play to him was very impressive. Um, and his, he took his goal brilliantly, even though a player in Jimmy Dunn who has probably been one of QPR's best defenders this season um, and one of my favourite players, was really poor on the day. He was at fault for the first goal and he let Archer onto his stronger left foot far too easily, but it was an emphatic finish. And I think if you're Steven Gerrard, you'll probably be very, very impressed with what you're seeing. And I can easily see him getting in that Aston Villa side next season. Yes, it's going gonna, it's gonna to take a ridiculous bid from Preston to be able to tempt him permanently. Um, Preston, they're not they're not going to set the world light rest season. Not not going to get playoffs. Certainly not going to go down either. Just just like us now, sadly, not going to get playoffs. Certainly not going to certainly not going to go down. We'll probably if we capitulate even further, finish in our customary sixteenth place. But as as for Preston, it was a good win and another fantastic performance from a very informed goalkeeper in Daniel Iverson, as he made some more good saves. Um, moving on now down the M4 from me to Berkshire as Reading lose 2-1 against Cardiff. Bit, bit of a nothing day from Reading, although Cardiff will be very happy with the win and they're getting the winning goal just five minutes from time with um, Will Volks um, bagging there. Tom, do you have anything to say about this game? Well, if Reading won, I think that would have certainly been them safe, but I'm pretty sure they're safe anyway. So. The, only, the main positives to take there would probably be big goal for Lucas Shaw getting back in the goals and a big win for Steve Morrison because I think if he'd have lost this game, he, he really could have found himself under pressure after the shambolic 4-0 defeat to Swansea in their previous fixture. But other than that, not much. I think we've got to talk about Nottingham Forest, though. Their, their romp continues and they weren't even that good against uh, Birmingham, but one player who was very good was Keenan Davis, who, I mean, I've seen the, the celebration where he's winding up the Blues fans, obviously a Villa loanee, but he's been unbelievable since signing for Forest. His hold-up play, and it is a horrible stereotype, the old good touch for a big man one, but I've never seen someone that can all pin defenders that are also so good with their feet. He's got the dribbling ability of, of the likes of Brennan Johnson, which is just incredible. And having that string to his bow really helps him in build-up play. And that's why you shouldn't just look at his goal tally. But he has started to add goals to his game now. 
and that will make him a massively dangerous prospect. Yeah, no, at, at the City ground, we did see a 2-0 win for Nottingham Forest. Obviously, with the goals from Keenan Davis, yes, I have these, I have seen the video before you are some great shithousery from um, the man up top for Forest and another assist, another goal involvement, should I say, for Brennan Johnson and a goal for Scott McKenna, which from a Nottingham Forest point of view is nice to see. As for Birmingham, um, they've been um, there in a normal season, they'd be in trouble, but too many sides have been too rubbish for Birmingham to be in the relegation frackers this time round. Yeah, and it was another disappointing performance from Blues. Um, and Neil Etheridge went off after 70 minutes. I believe it was with an injury because goalkeepers normally go yeah, off. Yeah, it was a horrific head injury. I think he had a clash with Jed Spence where it was almost Petr Cech vibes, you know, when he got kneed by, I think it was yeah. Stephen Hunt. It looked worrying, but thankfully I think he's... He's messaged, put out on Twitter that he's okay. So that's good. That's really good signs for him and everyone involved. Yeah, bit bit like Matt Ingram against us earlier in the season. Obviously, took it in the head from I believe a domer's knee. Um, got put in an ambulance. Me and my dad thought he'd be out for the season, but he's back playing the next Saturday. Much to mine and my dad's shock, and probably pleasant surprise as well. Um, one more game I'm going to touch upon in the championship is West Brom 1, Stoke 3. As a Jake Livermore own goal, another in fantastic performance from Lewis Baker. What a signing, by the way, um, gives Stoke the three points. Um, do you have anything you want to say about this game? Not really, other than, as you say, both teams. That's a big win for Michael O'Neill, to be fair, because he was under a bit of pressure and it, it definitely kills West Brom's playoff hopes if they'd have won they'd have had a slight sniff being five points off with four with five games to play but that definitely kills it I think we've got to talk about Hull v Middlesbrough though because that was a real shock result and another mistake individually from Middlesbrough costing them a massive three points really because when you look at their upcoming fixtures they've still got Huddersfield to play they've still got um, Bournemouth to play away from home so you know, Hull at home, they're the type of games that you've got to win. And I think that I think that if you haven't seen it, it is a mistake by Joe Lumley. And it's a shot from it's a shot slash cross, but I can understand sort of why Lumley leaves it because it it can be perceived as a cross, but he's got to know where his his far post is. Um and as I say, Lewis Potter with a goal. The away record this season has been actually really good, to be fair, considering where they are in the league, away from home, they're seventh. They've won seven, drew five, lost nine. But it's just at home where they're literally the worst side in the league at home this season. And that's what's cost them this year. And it's been the similar theme under Shotter Avaladze since he's come in. But big three points for Hull. And I think Borough, it's a massive blow, but I still do think they'll get in the playoffs. Um, if they win their game in hand, they can leapfrog Sheffield United. So they'll have a keen eye on this Huddersfield looting game tonight. Yeah, no, in a nutshell, it's been a bit like us. Um, no, no, it's not been like us. In a nutshell, it's been a bit like Derby this season, but in reverse, being fantastic on the road. But I've just been really poor at home. And um, we saw their good away form continue um, on Saturday with Keen Lewis Potter scoring again. But as, as for Middlesbrough, um, uh, it is a disappointing loss and some of the abuse Joe Lumley's been getting on social media has been unacceptable. Um, 
really, really poor abuse he's been getting. But as as for how that's 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 how safe um, they can't they can't go down from here unless they literally lose every game. And um, I think Reddit... that is actually them safe because I saw Grant McCann tweet congratulations on Hall's safety. Um, so I think that is them safe. Yeah, um, unless unless Reading and Barnsley literally go and win every game, unless the sides go and literally go and win every game this season, um, then yeah, they're safe. Um, I think one more win to absolutely rubber stamp it, but yeah, they're more or less safe now. Um, another side who had another side who had their mathematical safety guaranteed this weekend was Bristol City, um, with a with a really good um, in with a really good performance from. Um, Peterborough and Johnson Clark Harris getting the goal and um, I've seen quite dis- I've seen from Bristol City fans on the socials how it's been quite disappointing from them despite a really good individual fronts from Rob Atkinson at the back getting a goal it just wasn't to be as Johnson Clark Harris bullied his way to another goal Tomo do you have anything you'd like to say about this um, obviously Peterborough are more or less down but you, you always have something to say don't you really no other than let's move on to League One yeah, no, moving on to League One and breaking news just as we were recording this. We've just found that the crew manager, David Artell, has been given his P45. Yeah, no, so that means that crew will be on the lookout for a new manager for their League Two campaign next season as their relegation was mathematically confirmed by Doncaster, a side who will also more likely than not be playing in the fourth tier of English football next season as they sit just above them in 23rd, albeit five points off safety. Survival's just now bridged too far for Crew Alexandra as they have four more games. They're, they're just playing for pride now. Um, they're just playing because they have to. Um, it's been really disappointing for Crew this season. Obviously, last season lost Perry NG to Cardiff. And this season have just completely capitulated most season and been a bit of a laughing stock, only collecting they've only collected 25 points all season. It's been really disappointing. And Tomo, do you have anything to say on the matter? Yeah, I think they've also lost Owen Dale and Charlie Kirk as well, who were two of their key attacking players. And they just haven't had a good enough squad crew this season. I mean, to concede 78 goals is is really poor, to be fair, but I think Artel, yeah, I, I thought they were going to stick with him at least till the end of the season, but obviously they've decided now that relegation's confirmed, they might want to get a new man in to end the season, have a look at the players that are expiring contracts and see who's going to renew. But I don't think Crew will come back up next year. I think if they were in League Two this season, they'd probably be lower mid-table because that's how poor they've been. And... They were really poor against Donny in the game. Um, you know, Donny weren't brilliant in the game, but pretty much comfortably won it, um, thanks to goals from Tommy Rowe and Josh Martin. But Crew just have offered very little all season, and that's why they're they're down. As for Donny, I think they're probably down as well, as you mentioned. But you never know. Four games to go, five points. They need to win at least three of those games out of four if they want any chance of staying up. But I think it's probably a bridge too far for them. Um, another game down the bottom, well, a game down the bottom and up the top, obviously, Wimbledon v MK Dons, which was massive. I think Mark Bowen's first game, second game in charge, um, his first home game in charge, and they were 1-0 up at the break, but Wimbledon couldn't hold on and Troy Parrott with the 80th minute sucker punch 
to really hurt those Wimbledon fans because if they'd have won that game, they'd have really given themselves a chance at moving out of the relegation zone. They'd have been on 37 points with Morecambe in 20th on 38 and Fleetwood on 38 as well. But that that goal could be the dagger in their hearts and could be the one that sends them down, which will be heartbreaking for those Wimbledon fans. Yeah, no, and um, unless Rotherham win both their games in hand, um, it could well be the goal that sends MK Dons up, I reckon. Because um, um, I don't know if you've seen the video, but despite them being a franchise club, stereotypically, the limbs were very good from the MK Dons fans. Um, but a very good performance from likes of Troy Parrott, old boy Dean Lewington, Coven, Connor Coventry as well, playing well. But as, as for Wimbledon, the fact they haven't managed to win, I'm going to go as far as saying have to win all their games in order, you know, if they want uh, a chance of staying up. But, yeah, no, I think the, the, um, the old firm of League One really striking again. Um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite sad to see from Wimbledon perspective the fact that they're going to drop down into League Two next season, more likely than not anyway. Moving on now, had a side who looked like they were going to stay up, but have been dragged back into mathematical trouble at Gillingham. Um, I remember we said a couple of weeks ago, I remember we said back in January that they, they need to be ready for a campaign in League Two next season. They dropped back into the relegation zone only on goal difference. And as I said, they, I think they have to win at least three of their remaining games um, in order to really get survival. And just checking to see if they've got any more relegation six points between now and the end of the season. They play they play Fleetwood. Um they, they play Fleetwood, who are also on the same number of points as them. But yeah, Fleetwood are, are out of the relegation zone, albeit only on goal difference as well. Yeah, no, what, what, what do you have to say about the Gillingham Wickham match, Tomo? I think it's a it's a great point for Gillingham, to be fair, especially being one-nil down so early in the game. When you go one-nil down inside the first 20 minutes. Um, even though they're at home, you, you're going to fear for the worst. And as for Wickham, they are in the playoffs. They're in that seventh spot. Hold on, that can't be right. They're not in the playoffs. They're just outside the top six on um, goal difference, although they do have a game Al- in alphabetical hand on- order. They're out of the goal difference on. Oh, wow. They're out on alphabetical order. Um, would it not be games goals scored, though, before alphabetical? Oh, scored yeah, the same number of goals. Probably- wow. Yeah, that is mental. So that's big. But Sunderland and Wednesday do both have games in hand on them. So they'll feel like that was a massive missed opportunity, especially with Wednesday dropping two points against Bolton. So they'll be disappointed. But yeah, Gillingham, that game against Fleetwood's going to be absolutely massive. And I think Harris has done a really good job this season, to be fair. Well, unbelievable job to turn it around for them. Um, but as you say, they could just slip down with Morecambe picking up a little bit of form and Fleetwood probably have a little bit too much quality. But as you say, they lost again to Accrington and it was one of the most comical red cards you'll ever see. Take it away. Oh, stop it. The first time I saw it on Twitter, I literally wet myself with laughter. It was, sorry if there are any Fleetwood fans listening, but it was absolutely hilarious. So a long ball comes forward. I don't know who played it. It was a good ball. And then Alex Cairns, he runs forward to try and claim it, runs out of his area in doing so. And you think he's either going to completely miss it and they're going to go and score into one guard net or he's going to head it. 
And what does he do? He puts both his hands up and just punches it out and just punches it out. It was absolutely hilarious. And obviously, it's probably the easiest red card that any referee could ever give. I think if the ref gives the yellow, then they're asking to be sacked, in my opinion. But they didn't make the mistake there. Um, he rightly got dismissed. And in the end, it was a matter of late heartbreak as centre-half Michael Nottingham went and scored a 94th minute winner for Accrington Stanley. And a man of the match performance as well from Sean McConville, old boy in midfield there, 33 years of age, seemingly still got it as he got a goal and an assist. But as for Fleetwood, they're, they're now more in trouble now after the red card. But Accrington, they're, they're, they're a side in mid-table, not, not going to challenge for playoffs this season. Most certainly not going to go down either. They're 18, they're, yeah, they're 18 points. No, they're 19 points off six and 16 off um, the bottom four. But yeah, it, was, it, was a, it was probably the most comical red card of the season, in my opinion. Tomo, what would you like to add on the red card? Yeah, it was. I mean, absolutely baffling decision-making from Cairns. And it, I mean, we laugh about it, but if that ends up be, them being relegated by a point because they've conceded in the last minute, then Cairns will be... And Cairns has been decent this season, to be fair for them. He's been a star amongst poor performers, but that was something that he'll really want to forget very quickly. Um I want you to I want to get your opinion on the Oxford Sunderland game because that's one that I think is massive in permutation wise for the top six. I think Oxford, if they'd have won this game, they'd have really been still in with a chance of the playoffs. They'd have been on 72 points. Sunderland would have only been on 70. So that he'd have just been outside of it. But Sunderland winning this game, I think it's massive for them. That's they've shown a lot of character to win this game. And that's something that Alex Neal teams are renowned for, to be fair, showing character. But it's something that Sunderland haven't been renowned for in league to in league since their relegation to League One. And therefore, I think it's a massive, massive moment for them to win this game. And scoring in the 89th minute, thanks to Elliot Embleton. Um, is really huge goal for them and could be their playoff place secured. Yeah, no, we've we've seen it already. Um, Oxford really disappointing from then. Lost lost the last three in quite frustrating circumstances, losing to Plymouth, Morecambe, and now Sunderland. Um, so that's uh, and then and they're now stuck on the same number of points as everyone's favourite Mackie's order number is. Um, try and guess what that is. Um, as for Sunderland, they stay inside the playoffs, as we discussed earlier on alphabetical order. As they seem to pick up picked up some form recently, they're unbeaten in eight games as well, which is always good for the Mackhams. Um as they and as they sit very uncomfortably inside the playoffs with some really good performances in there, um, with Corey Evans getting the getting the getting a goal. Um and obviously an 89th minute winner as well from that man, Elliot Embleton. As for Oxford, um, they've slipped, they've let it slip away, just like our beloved QPR has done. And they now sit eighth in the league. Um, probably, probably missed out for this season. They'll probably just have to go again next season. Once one of the sides in the top six has once three of the sides in the top six have departed for the championship. The, what 
And the next game we're going to touch on is a game which had significance at both ends of the table. It ended at Sinsel Bank, Lincoln 1, Wigan 3, with a fantastic individual performance from Callum Lang as he got 9.3. He had the the least number of touches of any outfield players playing 90 minutes with just 32. But that didn't matter. He was able to use his 32 touches for two goals and setting up Will Keane's goal as well. Tom, do you have anything you'd like to say about this game? Yeah, I think that's massive for Wigan. I think it's probably the game that confirms their promotion with just six games to go. They've got an eight-point gap. Well, they've got a six-point gap over Rotherham. They've got a three-point gap over MK Dons, but Dons have played two more games. So Wigan realistically probably only need three more wins out of their last six to pretty much guarantee it. Um, And yeah, Lang and Keane with the goals, both both players who are at different parts of the career, obviously Lang being a young striker, Keane being a little bit more experienced, been at Manchester United, been around the block a little bit more. Um, but Lang was is such a talented player and he, he was brilliant for Wigan. And I think Liam Richardson has to get massive credit for what he's done with this Wigan squad. Now, yes, they were very ambitious in the summer, in the summer and in January as well. They did sign some big name players, but their performances have been second to none so far this season. And considering how many games they had cancelled and postponed in that period where games were lost due to COVID, then a lot of people would have thought that that would have had a massive effect on them, but it just hasn't so far. They've been under the pressure all the time. A lot of the time people, Rotherham fans, Don's MK fans were saying, we'd rather have the six point, the points than the games, but it's just not phased Wigan and they've been brilliant. And I can't wait to see them in the championship next year under Richardson, because I think they could surprise a few people. And, and I, I am that confident that they are going to get promoted. Um, Lincoln, they're not going to go down. It's been a, a, a really poor season for them. And Michael Appleton will be disappointed because I don't think after last year being so close to, to the championship, losing in the playoff final, I don't think any Lincoln fan would have envisaged an 18th place finish. And they're probably not going to get higher than 18th this year. Um, and it's just been poor. But as you say, they have been a bit unlucky with injuries, but they need a probably a bit of a clear out in the summer and the hangover from last year is evident and they definitely need to do something about it in the summer and go to retool for next season. Yeah, no, it does go without saying it's been disappointing for Lincoln. As Wigan, um I would like to say that their that their that their promotion is all but mathematically confirmed. Could be confirmed, I believe, as early as um could be could be confirmed as early as good as, as early as Easter Saturday, um, if they if they win their next two games, could they're, they're going up, aren't they? For sure, um, they they've got six games left, two games in hand on the team below them, MK Dons. Um, look, Tom, get 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 the wad of cash out. Looks like we, looks like we're doing Wigan away next season. Um, but yeah, no, on on a real one, I am very happy for Wigan. Obviously. They had those owners come in during the um, first lockdown who tried to drive them down to the ground, put them into administration, got them relegated from the championship, almost got them relegated last season. But Richardson 
the miracle man, if you like, came in and kept them up in 20th place. And they've just gone from strength to strength this season and they currently sit top of the league. Surely that's that that's that's promotion more or less signed, sealed, delivered. Moving on now um, to League Two. Um, we are going to start off with um, going to start off with a game which has base which has had informants at no, a game which has had significance at both ends of the league. It was indeed Scunthorpe nil Mansfield four. Tom, take it away. Massive for Mansfield. They they were followed by I think over two and a half thousand away fans, which I, I wouldn't be surprised if there was more Mansfield fans there than Scunthorpe because. That loss pretty much confirms Scunthorpe's relegation. Not mathematically, they are only 13, uh, 13 points off safety, but with only five games to go, there's no way that they are going to be not playing in the National League next season. As for Mansfield, it was a much-needed win, to be fair. Um, they've gone through a little bit of a shaky period recently, and that win really puts them in a solid position for the top seven and leaves them breathing down Port Vale's necks because they are only three points behind with a game in hand and they've got, I think, a little bit... No, they've got a bit of a worse goal difference, to be fair. But as you say, keep that pressure on and Port Vale will not... Port Vale fans will not be wanting to see that. Um, As for the game itself... Individually, it was a very good performance from Stephen McLaughlin, who's been good this season. Um, he managed to score the second goal. It was an Anthony Grant own goal that opened up proceedings. And Ryan Sturk and Stephen Quinn with the other two, both two players at separate ends of their careers. But Mansfield dominated the games. Scunthorpe didn't have a shot on target. And that says it all really for them. They're just not good enough for this level their squad is not good enough and if you look at the players that are playing there there's only really two or three that you'd say are good enough for league two um and Mansfield when you compare they've got the likes of Longstaff McLaughlin as I've said Stephen Quinn Lucas Aikins all players who are very very good players at probably a league one level let alone league two and with a manager in Nigel Clough who is a very good manager and very underrated I think they've got a real recipe for promotion. If it isn't the top three for them and it is the playoffs, I would probably put them as favourites. Yeah, no, some of the names in that Mansfield side, just to name a few, Matty Longstaff, we all remember him, he scored two goals for Newcastle against Man United and then disappeared. Old boy Stephen Quinn, 36 years old, still doing bits. Lucas Aikens was a Burton for donkey's years, did it in the Championship for two seasons. James Perch, um, the man who coined the Perchy tackle, when you take out three players simultaneously and and dislocate your knee in doing so. John Joe O'Toole, done it for years. Um, and, that's, and that's just a couple names in that um, Mansfield side. Surely surely a recipe for top seven, if not more. As for Scunthorpe, I, they, they literally need to win all their remaining games and ensure that Stevenage, Olden and Barrow all capitulate, um, or two of them at least. Um, but they, but um, Stevenage, even though Stevenage are in 23rd, Stevenage could still send them down on Easter Monday, um, which is really sad to see from a scun from a scun thought perspective. They've just been so so poor all season. Only won four games, 76 goals conceded, minus 50 goal difference. It just says it all. And the squad does not cut the mustard at this level whatsoever. 
Moving on now, we are going to touch on a game which has really propelled um, Salford up the league. Um, is their two 0 win? Big Matt Smith at it again. We all remember him. He's he's dropped down to League Two now. But yeah, nah, um, big win for big win for Salford as they are, as they're really knocking on the door of League One. They got like four promotions in five seasons or something mental when um, the class of '92 came in. But yeah, no, Tom, what do you have to say about that? Yeah, and if it wasn't for Finn Azaz, or I think it's a Dion Conroy own goal now, um, goal for Newport, then they would be in the top seven. But obviously that goal for Newport, which gave them the three points, moved Swin moved Newport back into seventh. But yeah, Salford have come from nowhere, really. Gary Bowie is a, a very underrated manager. And I think Gary Neville and his ownership group have realised that sacking managers every five seconds is not a good recipe for success. And therefore, since appointing Bowie, they've they've been fairly patient with him to be fair because they didn't start the season very well. But Matt Smith has come in and been a massive focal point and two good goals um, against Harrogate, who have been really underwhelming, to be fair, to end the season. Um, it's been disappointing for them because at one stage they were looking like they could even be a sneaky team for the playoffs, but it wasn't to be. And yeah, they've been just really lacklustre towards the end of the season and manager Simon Weaver won't be happy with that. But I think Salford could make a run for it. But as I say, there's so many teams that are still in with a shout of getting in that top six. But I mentioned Newport v Swindon there and a heartbreaking last minute goal to concede for Swindon, which probably ends their fairy tale chances of getting in the top seven. They're now four points off. Yes, they have a game in hand on Newport, but their record as of late hasn't been great. And dropping three points to one of their promotion rivals is never something you want to do. Yeah, no, it's really disappointing from a Swindon perspective. Even though they are seven points off Mansfield in fourth, that's probably just a matter of too little too late. Um, as as for um, Newport, um, they, they do sit in seventh place um, after a last-minute um, Dion Conroy own goal broke Swindon Hearts. Um, as for Newport, really good performance at the back and a man of the match for from Joe Day in between the sticks. I'd be really, I'd be really excited if I was a Newport fan because um, they sit in the top seven and they could well be getting that come the end of the season. Moving on now, we are we are going to touch on briefly. Um, next match we're going to touch on is Port Vale three, Oldham two, which um, was a which was a really good individual performance from Jamie Proctor as he scored twice to get Port Vale another three points as they now sit in the top three. Um, Tom, what do you have to say about this? I think Port Vale just edged this one, to be fair. Oldham played very well. And after beating Stevenage, being comfortably second best, they probably got a taste of their own medicine here because they were arguably the better side in this game against a very, very good and informed Port Vale side. And therefore, Sheridan will be disappointed that he didn't manage to get at least a point um, Stevenage's win also means now that they're level on points with each other with Stevenage having a game in hand so that's never nice to see for Oldham fans but they just gave away a few too many soft goals Proctor's been brilliant so far it was only a couple of last week or the week before where he scored that Decanio-esque scissor kick and 
He scored two more again here, which leaves Port Vale in pole position for automatic promotion uh, compared to the sides below them. But I think Daryl Clark, it's a, it's a very sad story about him having a family bereavement, obviously, and he's returned to the dugout recently. And so it's very nice to see that their form has continued. And I think as, as nasty as it is, I think that heart for Clark, I think that may have galvanised the squad a little bit, given them so, an extra bit of motivation because since then um, they've really turned their form around and, and moved right up the table. Um, as for, as I say, the relegation battle in League One, there's really, it's between Barrow, Oldham and Stevenage um, to stay up. All three on 37 points and if Stevenage can carry on winning as they did against Colchester at the weekend, then they could potentially sneak out and edge out Oldham. But at the moment, Oldham above them in the table. Yeah, no, um, it's disappointing um, um, for Oldham as they are at, they are literally outside the bottom two only on goal difference. As for Port Vale, that's that's um, they they just need to win um, a few more games and they're up. It's been a really good season for them. Obviously, getting that um, history defining statistic of becoming the first side in the whole of English football to be every side in the, in the 92 in a competitive game, which is a fantastic achievement and hats off to Port Vale for achieving that. Right then, I think that concludes this week's um, edition of the Top Four Tiers podcast. Thank you. Thank you for listening if you made it this far. And if you have made it this far, then please feel free to drop us a follow on the socials and subscribe on whatever platform you're listening on. Tomo, do you have any last words before we round off this week? Well, there's a couple more results maybe in League Two, but I think Exeter's win and Forest Green's draw could probably be talked about next week because I think they could both seal promotion by then. Um, massive goal in the last minute from Padraig Armand for those very, very long-travelling Exeter fans. So just wanted to mention that, to be fair, because that is key for them, putting them five points clear in the automatics but yeah great week of English football and really looking forward to these last sort of five or six games actually more so looking forward to the AFL end of the season than the than the Premier League which as usual because I think the EFL is a much more entertaining and better prospect in my opinion yeah no it's, it's always crazy down there always results and in the EFL you never ever get an easy game you just that just does not happen at, at all. No game is an easy match, and I think some of the freak results this season, you know, this week among others this season, have just proven my point that you never get an easy match in League Two. Thanks for listening. Goodbye. Thanks for joining us at Top Four Tears. You've been listening to Tom Ward, founder of this multimedia empire, and myself, Lucas Ross editor and producer. Don't forget to like and subscribe.